Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Seeds and Weeds podcast brought to you by Small House Farm. Join us as we talk with gardeners, foragers, herbalists, chefs, and community activists to explore the many ways that plants impact our cultures and cuisines, our history, and our future. I'm your host, Bevan Cohen, and this is Seeds and Weeds. Howdy, friends. Welcome back to the show. We got a fun episode for you today. We're going to be hanging out with Christine Brown to talk about Herbal Roots Magazine and Christine's new herb club. Plus, she's going to be sharing some of her go-to herbs for dealing with stress and the inevitable transitions of life. So you're going to want to stick around for that. But before we get into the interview, I just want to talk a little bit about something that we've probably all been seeing on the news recently, that new purple tomato. And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, I don't mean something like a Cherokee purple tomato. Uh, This is that new GMO purple tomato from Norfolk Plant Sciences. This thing is purple. It's got purple skin and bright, deep purple flesh. I mean, it barely even looks real to me when I see pictures of it. It is pretty wild. I dropped a couple links down in the show notes to some news pieces about the tomato if you want to read more about it. There's a lot to unpack with this new tomato. First off, it's a GMO, which means that it's made in a laboratory. In this case, genes from an edible purple snapdragon have been added to the tomato to create this purple color. The purple color indicates high levels of anthocyanin antioxidants, which can also be found in foods like blackberries and blue blueberries. The fruit's being marketed as a healthy superfood due to these high levels of anthocyanins. But what's particularly unique about the tomato, I mean, aside from its color, is that the seeds are being marketed directly to home gardeners. And this is a first in the world of genetically modified crops. GMO crops, you know, like corn, soy, rice, those crops are marketed directly to large-scale commodity farmers. Never before have we seen a GMO crop being sold directly to the home gardener. So what does this mean? Well, first, let's just quickly clear up what it means to be GMO. Sometimes I see folks a little confused by the term and they'll say things, you know, like, uh, oh, we've been genetically modifying food crops forever. That's what plant breeding is. And sure, through plant breeding, we are technically modifying or changing the genetics of the plants that we're working with. But when people say GMO, what they're referring to specifically is something that can only happen in a laboratory. It's when DNA from animals, bacteria, or another species of plant are introduced into the genetics of whatever crop we're modifying. So in this case, with the purple tomato, genes from a snapdragon have been added into the DNA of the tomato. And that is not something that we can do with traditional plant breeding. I think it's important to note that there are a number of purple skin tomatoes available on the market, purple skin tomatoes, and they are all developed through traditional plant breeding techniques. Of course, the traditionally bred tomatoes, they're not bright purple all the way through, um, but there are other purple food crops like carrots or broccolis, there's sugar snap peas, beans, purple onions, all of which we develop through traditional breeding. So the ultimate question here, of course, is are these tomatoes healthier for us or are GMOs inherently not healthy for people to consume? And people's opinions on this all over the board, right? Since GMO foods were first introduced in 1994, there haven't been any conclusive studies released claiming that GMOs are not safe to eat. But, you know, sometimes folks like to question who funds these studies. And since GMOs have only been around, you know, for 30 years, there's no way to have tested for any long-term effects of their impact on our health or our environment. Many of our commodity crops, again, things like corn and soy, have been genetically modified for pest and herbicide resistance. And this creates a situation where our crops are seeing higher and higher levels of chemical application, which I think could certainly pose risks to both our health and to the environment. Interestingly enough, the weeds in these cornfields have actually started to naturally become resistant to the herbicides being applied to the fields. So think about this. We created a GMO corn that could resist these herbicide sprays, so we could easily spray the fields to fight the weeds and the corn wouldn't be affected. But the weeds themselves have naturally started to become resistant to the herbicides, meaning larger and more frequent applications of herbicide are becoming necessary. It's interesting to see that the weeds naturally 
naturally adapted to resist the chemicals. No, these aren't GMO weeds, right? They're naturally changed to adapt to the environment that they have to live in. Of course, these new tomatoes, which are being marketed simply as purple tomatoes, or sometimes they're called Norfolk tomato, were developed not for chemical resistance, but to increase their nutritional value. And as far as GMO technology goes, I suppose improved nutrition is a much better goal than increased chemical resistance, right? What impact will these GMO tomatoes have in our garden? Well, thankfully, tomatoes are self-pollinating, but at times they can certainly cross with other varieties in the garden. So if we grow these new GMO tomatoes, will they cross with other varieties? Well, they might. It's certainly possible. I think that it would be valuable to isolate this variety, uh, either physically or by bagging the blossoms to avoid any accidental crossing with other tomatoes. I mean, this is something that many of us do with our old historic heirlooms anyways, and I think it's something we're definitely going to want to do if we choose to grow these new GMO tomatoes. Will I be growing the new GMO tomatoes? (laughs) Not likely. Uh, I have plenty of other wonderful old heirloom varieties that need to be grown out, so I have got enough on my plate to keep me busy. One detail I could not find much information about online uh, was if these new GMO purple tomatoes would come back true from seed. If someone grows this new tomato and saves their seed, will they be able to continue growing the same variety year after year? I cannot find that info anywhere. If it's a hybrid, I mean, we can still save the seeds, but it might not come back true to type. The next generation of tomatoes might not even be purple at all. But will they still carry that GMO Snapdragon gene? It's hard to say. What do you think of this new GMO tomato? Are you going to grow it in your garden? I would love to hear from you. Uh, Please leave a comment on our YouTube, if that's where you're tuning in, or on our website at seedsandweedspodcast.com. If you want, you can join our Seeds and Weeds Facebook group, chat with us there, or even just email me directly, smallhousefarm at gmail.com. I would love to get more feedback from folks on this and hear what everyone else is thinking about this new GMO purple tomato. In other small house news, our new herb co-op for the folks in our Patreon community is up and running, and everyone seems to be enjoying this uh, fun new membership perk. Access to the herb co-op is a perk for patrons of all membership levels, and we're really excited to be able to share this with everyone. You know, it's the support of our Patreon community that keeps this show on the air. So if you enjoy the podcast and want to show your support, please consider joining our Patreon community. You'll have access to the herb co-op and a bunch of other groovy perks, like seasonal gift baskets, free seeds, all sorts of things. Find the link to our Patreon down in the show notes or at patreon.com slash smallhousefarm. This episode is also brought to you in part by our friends at Easy Swap Pots, makers of easily transplantable fabric pots and reusable fabric liners. Right now, the folks at Easy Swap Pots are offering a special discount just for our listeners. Visit EasySwapPots.com and use the coupon code SEEDS, S-E-E-D-S, SEEDS, to get 15% off your purchase. Your plants will love you for taking this opportunity to try these high-quality, reusable fabric pots that are handcrafted right in Wisconsin. You can find the link and the coupon code for savings down in the show notes. All right, let's get on to this interview. Christine Brown is helping parents teach their kids about herbalism one herb at a time. A practicing traditional community herbalist and mother of four children and two stepchildren, Christine created the only children's herbal curriculum that uses all four styles of learning. She's taught classes for homeschooled children locally and coordinated numerous herbal conference kids camps, both locally and nationally. She's the writer and illustrator of the online children's publication Herbal Root Zine and the creator of several online courses that teach children about botany, drawing, and herbs. We're excited to have Christine on the program today to talk about all of this and more. Hello, Christine. It is so great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Bevan. It's great to be here. Now, I got quite a few things that I would like for us to talk about. So maybe just to get started, we can dig into your background as an herbalist. I know that you're a registered herbalist through the American Herbalist Guild. How long have you been practicing herbalism and how did you kind of find yourself on this path? Um, I 
I've been practicing for almost 30 years now. And um, it really started with the birth of my first son, who's now um, 29. Having kids, you know, and realizing all of a sudden there's someone else I've got to care for, wanting to present a more natural way of living for them and a healthier way of healing. Um, just started that curiosity of dabbling with herbs. And then it just kind of slowly grew into a, a huge passion and, and lifestyle choice and just wanting to uh, teach others about it as well. And you're the founder of the Herbal Roots Zine, which is an online magazine geared towards herbal education for children. And I just totally dig that. I love that your focus is on teaching kids about herbs. I think it is so cool. Could you tell us a little bit more about your work in this field and why it's so important to you to teach children about herbalism? Yeah. So uh, like I mentioned, you know, I was wanting to um, be healthy with my kids. And so I, I have four children of my own. And the last two, my youngest two, I made the choice to stay at home and homeschool them. And Herbal Routine started kind of as a helping tool for myself um, when I was putting together a curriculum and wanting to teach my kids about herbalism, feeling it was very important for them to learn from day one to incorporate it in their lives, that there weren't really any tools out there to teach kids. There were a couple of books like Leslie Tara's Kids Herb Book and things like that, but it really was not what there is now available. So I decided to just go ahead and create it. <laughs> so um, I just started off putting together roughly like 24 pages of just fun games and activities to teach about herbs. And I chose to pick one specific herb at a time and just introduce one herb at a time to the kids and just teach through like I had coloring pages and um, crossword puzzles and word searches, things like that. And then I'd also put together recipes and craft activities and made up some poems and songs to go along with it just to kind of immerse them in that herb. And that was kind of before like Facebook was really prevalent. And so it was blogging. The blog world was really still active. And I had an active online community of women who had like-minded lifestyle choices. They were homeschooling and homesteading, things like that. And so I, you know, you kind of naturally talk about it in your blog, what you're doing. And I mentioned that and there were a lot of moms that were interested in it because I was going to do it for myself. And then other moms are like, oh, I'd love to see that. And so that kind of birthed it to become a publication that I shared with everybody because I was like, great, other people want to teach their kids about herbs too. I really felt it was important because we need to uh, take back our power when it comes to healing ourselves. So many people now have become so dependent on this broken healthcare system that we have here in America that doesn't really help us. It just kind of keeps us in the system. And I felt that teaching herbalism and how we could use herbs to heal ourselves and keep ourselves healthy um, was very empowering. And by starting with kids and teaching them, it would help them to grow up and know that when they become adults, they have options and choices that aren't just the mainstream options. So this curriculum that you developed, it utilizes all four styles of learning. So, okay, this is a two-part question, right? What are the four styles of learning? And then how do you incorporate them into your teaching? Everybody learns in a variety of styles, and some people might just stick to one style. Some people might be kind of a combination of styles. So there's like just quickly their visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and reading. And to break those down, kids can learn and adults too. We never stop learning. Uh, we learn in a variety of ways. Some of us or all of us will have styles that we prefer or work best for us. So a visual learner is someone who likes to see things happen. It might be where they're watching someone else do the work. And so like YouTube videos, things like that, where they're watching someone make something. Auditory is someone who likes to listen. So they typically do well, like in a classroom setting where the teacher's doing a lot of talking and they're listening and they absorb through what they hear. And then we have kinesthetic, who's very hands-on, where they like to actually not only just 
watch what's being done, but actually participate and do it themselves. So if someone's showing them, demonstrating how to make something, they might want to have their own tools right there and do it right alongside of them. And that's how they'll learn the best. And then the reading would be, uh, they learn best by reading through materials. So you know, some of those resonate more with people than others, but usually learners have more than one style. They'll there'll be a couple that they like to combine together to work best. So with my zine, what I tried to do is incorporate all of those styles into the zine. And so the original ebooks that I call them now, after I quit writing new lessons every month, I went back and I started rewriting them and I created what's now called Herb Club. And it's a membership course where in addition to the ebooks, the parents get access to about an hour's worth of video per herb. And so, and I have that in two different ways of learning. There's either a hour long lesson that goes from start to finish of all the sections in it where the kid could just sit and watch if they're a very visual learner. I also break it up into the sections. So there's like a video with just the botany section, a video with the drawing so that if they just want to watch a specific segment, they could do that as well. So there's now a video component that gives that visual option as well. And that's something I'm working on slowly to incorporate all 100 30 books. I have, I think, roughly now like between 25 and 30 lessons done. One of the things that first caught my eye about your work uh, are the illustrations in, in the Herbal Roots, the ebooks and stuff, these drawings. And you do you do all of those drawings yourself that are in the ebooks? I do. Yeah. Um, I, my whole life, I've loved to draw and I, it's been something I've enjoyed doing. And so that was a great thing about doing this is it kind of put my two passions together, teaching others about herbalism and being able to draw all together as one. And so there is a component now now in my lessons where um, we draw the plant because I, I really feel that that's a great tool for identification um, because you can look at plants and people misidentify plants all the time. And one that really shocks me is like poke and elderberry. People will confuse the two. And if you know poke and elderberry, you know they're nothing alike. They look nothing alike. They act nothing alike. But at a glance, you know, they both have dark purple berries and that's pretty much in the green leaves, you know, <laughs> that's pretty much where their similarities end. So I really wanted to put that drawing component to make people sit there and hold a plant physically, hold part of that plant and look at it. And when you're looking at it and drawing it, it really makes you see details that you would have otherwise missed. And I still do this when I'm drawing a plant. I'll be like, wow, I never knew it had this or that, you know, just because our eyes just kind of take it in and make a quick snapshot. And then we catalog it and we don't stop to really take in all those little details. So drawing it really helps us to do that. So that's really a fun component to add in there as well. Uh, yeah, that's way cool. I love it because from like two different ways, I see that, you know, just the slowing down to really observe the different characteristics of the plant, like you're saying, helps with identification, helps you get to know the plant a little bit better. But just slowing down is kind of meditative in a way to just to be still and be with the plants for a moment. Just that itself is probably really good for people. It is. Man, I totally dig that. Do you have any <laughs> tips for our listeners on how they can maybe, I mean, outside of the curriculum, obviously, um, how they can introduce their children to herbs or find ways to engage them in the natural world, like in a new way. So like what kind of advice do you have for parents or maybe grandparents that want to get kids excited about plants? So kids naturally want to do what they see the adults in their life doing. If you like gardening or things like that, bring your kid out with you when they're gar when you're gardening. Give them their own little garden plot to work on. Even if they're just planting, you know, they're digging a weed from here and plucking it there and let them, depend on their age level of, you know, their interest, let them go where their interest leads. But also like just exploring your backyard together, seeing what plants you have out there and learning how to identify them together and just bringing them into your world and just making it part of your daily life. 
life. Anakin is my youngest son, and he's got his own little raised bed every year that he gets to garden in. Uh, and so he gets so excited. He plans out his little garden. And every year he says, this year I'm growing carrots. He puts so much thought into it, but every year, this year it's carrots. And he does his little carrot plot over there and that sort of thing. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think that if it's just super casual, like a day-to-day activity, then they don't even necessarily realize that they're learning something. They're just participating in what's happening around them. I used to teach at a women's herbal conference every year. I, I did it for six years in a row or something like that. And every year I'd play herbal bingo with them, which that's a free downloadable game I have on my website. But I would bring it in. And when the kids would win bingo, I, I would bring all these herb plants and I'd get to pick a plant to take home. And I, I would always make sure that all the kids got to end up with a plant. But there was one kid who came several years in a row and his mom's like, he's always so excited to bring his plant home. He has a little garden of each plant that he's planted every year. And every year it comes back and it's just so exciting for him. And he's there was just so much enjoyment from that. And it was like just this little gesture, you know, and there were just plants I had, you know, when you have an herb garden, things tend to get unruly. And I would just dig up a bunch of extras and pot them all up. So it was it was helping me to weed my garden without killing the plants. And but it was giving kids that insight of how they could grow it. And then he would also know what those plants were used for so he could use them when he needed them. So it was pretty neat to see in here. Now, Christine, you've written a number of books. There's uh, Herbalism at Home, The Homesteader's Guide to Growing Herbs, Nature Anatomy Activities for Kids. Do you have any current book projects in the works or anything that you're working on? What's the next big thing coming down the line for you? Right now, I'm just, I'm really focusing on my herb club membership and I'm really hoping to focus hard on getting herb club videos more additional content added in there. I dig it. Let's talk about transitions for a second. As we're recording this, we're transitioning from uh, an old year into a new year. And when this airs, we're going to be on the edge of transitioning from the winter season into the spring season. And life is full of transitions for all of us, whether they're seasonal in our gardens, whether they're uh, our, our physical location on the planet, whatever it might be. So many things are constantly in flux and in motion. So from an herbal point of view, do you have anything herb-wise that you might recommend to folks to help them um, through the, the inevitable stress that comes with transitions? I think my biggest thing is focusing on your nervous system because we're so caught up in running and going and doing and you know the transition itself can be so stressful that we just got to really take the time to just focus on our health and, and keeping our nervous system strong and resilient so that we can bounce back from it. So definitely herbs that help support that like milky oats is always a, a great perennial favorite of mine of doing like a milky oats infusion to drink even like an oatmeal bath taking a nice oatmeal bath and just relaxing chamomile tea sometimes we get so caught up in the newest and latest and greatest fancy herbs that we forget about just those basic simple herbs can be so great like nettles um, even though nettles might not specifically be for the nervous system I feel like it, it just nourishes the body in so many ways it can nourish our kidneys which can be stressed during transitions and also another thing we have to keep in mind during transitions sometimes we can all even be in like that fight or flight sort of instinct and so you know going back to the base foundations of what you've learned it becomes instinctual and so instead of trying to remember all those fantastic herbs that are available just the base that's always worked for you go back to that and work with that well that's going to bring me to the next question then if we were to come and visit you in your home right now and peek into your medicine cabinet uh what would we see what are a few of the herbs that you find yourself most often drawn to or maybe using the most to keep yourself healthy and happy 
one of the main ones I have right now is some medicinal mushrooms. So I'm really digging chaga right now. I love chaga so much. I love the flavor of it. And I just love how it nurtures and supports my body. I've been doing a lot of poke root as well for lymph support. And my go-to daily has been an antiviral blend that I started making back in 2020. And it's a combination of two parts of elderleaf, a part of sweet annie, and a part of sweet gum. Is it a tea or a tincture? How do you use it? It's a tincture. Tea-wise, I do probably Rubios is my favorite go-to of just a tea. And then I also have this blend that I buy. It's a commercial blend, Good Earths Organic Sweet and Spicy Tea, which is like a cinnamon tea. I dig it. So now for folks that want to connect with you, learn more about the awesome work you're doing, check out the Herb Club, the eBooks, all that good stuff. What are the links that they're going to need to know? So my website, it's herbalrootszine.com and everything is contained in there. I have a shop that's got all the eBooks if you just want the eBook. I do have online courses, which I, I kind of haven't really mentioned them. Um, they're just kind of like a year-long course. And then there's the Herb Club, which is a monthly membership. You can also subscribe annually or lifetime and it gives you access to all the videos and everything. You can even go in, like if you click on the Herb Club section, if you scroll down, there's a section where you can kind of preview what the dashboard looks like and you can click on it and view one of the lessons to see what all you get. And you can download all the curriculum from that and, and just check it out and see what it's like. If you want to compare, like is an online course better for me or would Herb Club be better? I do have on the new to herbs section, there's the calendula module is viewable. And then in the Herb Club, I also have the calendula. So you can look at both how they're presented and how they're different because they, they are completely different. Fantastic. Christine, thank you again for being on the show with us today. That was absolutely super fun. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I really enjoyed talking about Herb Club. my friends we have come to the end of another show thanks again to christine brown for being our guest and to all of you for tuning in remember if you'd like to support the podcast you can always join our patreon community you can find that link and many more at seedsweedspodcast.com this episode was edited and produced by all of us here at small house farm and the music we're enjoying right now is street food by alex thanks again for joining us i'm bevan cohen and we'll see you next time Howdy friends, Bevan here. You know, the Seeds and Weeds podcast is made possible in part by Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company, rareseeds.com. They're America's top source for rare and heirloom varieties from around the world, and they're publisher of the Whole Seed Catalog. Their 2024 catalog is chocked full of heirloom goodness, new varieties, recipes, stories, and gorgeous photographs. You can order yours now at rareseeds.com.